don't judge others and don't judge yourself. I mean, you know, you're, you're new at this. I mean, the kids don't come with it with a, with a guidebook, especially autistic kids. Oh, here we go again. Hey, everybody. Here we are again. It's your two dads. It's one of your two dads. Uh, but I've got you uh, another one. He's uh, going to sit in for us. We've got a series of interviews that you may have heard of. We're talking to dads all around the world. And we've got another one here from Florida uh, originally. He's coming to us now from across the world in, in uh, Peru. But his name is Victor uh, Antunes. He's a real estate agent, father of two. And the author, uh, let me bring it up here because I want to say it exactly. It's got an awesome book about autism. It's called The Autism and Special Needs Family Relocation Blueprint. And since I'm only going to say this part once, we'll go ahead with, uh, it's an all-inclusive guide to buying a new home and moving away with, spe- with autistic kids or special needs children. So uh, five stars, and it uh, looks to me like it's going to give uh, quite a bit of information, more than I ca- could digest before doing the interview. But if you've got uh, autistic kids in general, if you've got autistic kids and you're about to move, uh, you might want to check this book out. And in, in terms of uh, getting more about that, we're going to kick it over to our guest. Victor, why don't you tell us about yourself and uh, how you're doing today? I appreciate you coming in. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. I'm Victor Antunes. I am a Miami, Florida real estate agent. I'm currently traveling in Peru. I've got family here, and I'll be back in Miami shortly. And uh, I have a daughter on the autism spectrum, and for that reason, I wrote that book to help parents who are relocating with autistic or special needs kids to do that and be better prepared. Right on. And it's very specific, obviously, uh, in terms of moving. And where in your life did you, uh, where did you move from that led you to, and this is just a curiosity of my own, but where would you, where were you moving from that led you to experience all of this and feel the need to, to get that information out to people? Well, I first moved to Lima as a single guy, just traveling. And then I met my wife. We got married. We had kids. And the original plan was to stay in Peru. But when my older daughter was born around two or three years old, when she started to uh, just display different behaviors and we had her, you know, to a doctor and the doctor said she's got, you know, she's autistic. And uh, that changed our plans for the simple reason that in Lima, it doesn't matter how much money you have. They just don't have the services here that you're going to find up in the United States. So, uh, and for that reason, we relocated back to Miami. You know, relocating with uh, with kids, period, we got two kids, is um, is a bundle. But when one is on the spectrum, it's even harder. And for that reason, it just occurred to me to write that book to help other parents who are doing the same. So, you know, we moved. That, I moved to Lima on my own at first and then back to Miami with my wife and kids uh, just recently. And for that reason, I wrote that book. That's interesting. A long, a long trip to take with an autistic child. That must have been a, a trip in and of itself. Uh, writing a book is a huge endeavor. It, was this something that you had experience with before? Like a lot of us, you know, we have trunk novels or whatever. Like, did you have experience writing a novel or were you just like, no, I'm going to do this. This is the best way to get this information out. Well, it wasn't a novel. It's a nonfiction book and it is my first book. And uh, it, let me tell you, writing a book is a project. First, you got to write the book. Then you got to find editors. Then you got to get it uploaded to Amazon. So um, it was my first endeavor. It's uh, it's hard. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've got more books in me, but just the process of getting it done afterwards is so hard that the other stuff is just on the shelf right now. So uh, it was my first book and it was a big project. And uh, if you're going to undertake it, it's very rewarding, but uh, it's not for the faint of heart. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so in your opinion, the actual writing of the book was easier than the, the after the after part? I'm going to say it was like 50-50. Writing is not easy. I mean, uh, Hemingway's got this quote that, uh, you know, writing is quite simple. All you do is sit down at your typewriter and bleed. So, <laughs> so you know, writing is not that easy. But I'm going to say it's 50-50. With, uh, the writing is hard, and, and the back end is also very hard, very challenging. I dabble in, in fiction. I majored in English. I never really plan to release anything. But the... The writing part of it seems to me uh, as an introvert to be much easier because then it comes to, like you said, just something as simple as finding an editor. You know, I have to speak to that, to that editor. I have to convince them to read my entire book. 
I can barely con convince people to listen to a 30 minute podcast. As far as the traveling, I am, uh, I am interested in traveling. I don't get to do as much of it as I wanted. I used to work at an airport, used to be in the army. So I did get around the world a lot more than I do now. Uh, as things stand, my son only allows me to go, uh, you know, a certain distance from home before he starts to complain. Uh, we got out to, or my wife rather got out to Colorado and he did all right with that. But, uh, any further would have been a bit of a problem. Uh, as someone that gets, uh, you know, pretty outside of, of, of my comfort zone, uh, down in, uh, in Lima, is there any other, uh, uh any other nice places that you, uh, like to travel any place you go? Uh, it's like your go-to or anything like that. I'll tell you, you know what, uh, the United States is such a big country that I would tell people that every state is almost like its own country. And um, I've traveled through the U.S. extensively, road trip, national parks, and uh, I'm big on the U.S. just because everything there is English. Uh, the roads work. It's clean. It's pretty safe. So I would tell people, you know, if you've not done a bunch of traveling yet, stick to the U.S. The U.S. is a big, huge country. And uh, personally, I'm just a huge fan of national parks. So uh, actually, the U.S. is like my go-to place. Awesome. That's cool to hear. A lot of people, I, I speak to, as I said, people from all around, and, and it seems that people, uh, international guests, tend to travel a bit more, maybe just because, uh, like, in America, like, you know, it's similar to what you said, each state is almost its own country, uh, similar to how France is, uh, you know, similar in size to Germany, which is similar in size to, uh, I'm blanking on the geography, but essentially some states are, are the same size as those countries. So they they will go from one country to the, to the other. And I look at it as a huge, uh, a huge trip. Whereas to them, it's just like, no, nah, I was, you know, two hours down the road on, you know, on the train, it's no big deal. Yeah, if you're but, European. Uh, yeah. Europeans are just like, they're already, all together. You're already there. Yeah. You're already there. But for us here, like you, uh, for example, being down in Florida, anywhere you want to go, it's basically, there's nowhere uh, that you can start that's further away. You're, uh, and, and Miami is about as, as far south as you can get so yeah just to get to the border of georgia it's like six hours so it's quite a drive <laughs> yeah i'm uh i'm vaguely familiar with miami because one of my favorite podcasts takes place there you may or may not be familiar with it it's uh the dan levitard show um he uh okay he speaks about how the show is uh popular in miami that being said i have no frame of reference i've never been there but uh one thing i'm interested in as far as miami is concerned is they talk about it as if it's uh I can't, I think they called it, uh, they equated it to the capital of South America in America. And it's almost like a, a different place entirely from a different city in, just in Florida. Would you, do you have anything uh, in, in your experience that speaks to that? Well, you know, I was, uh, I was born in Florida, grew up in Miami. My parents are Cuban, so I speak Spanish. And I, I can tell you, Miami is one of those places. It's one of the few places in the U.S., probably the only place in the U.S., where you can go the whole day and just speak in Spanish. Now, I've been through parts of Texas and Southern California with a lot of Mexicans, but um, I would say that still in those parts of the country, there's, you know, English is still the major language, whereas you go to Miami, I mean, literally you could go and, it, you know, if you don't speak Spanish and you're not from Miami, it can be quite frustrating. And I understand that. But uh, Miami's very, it's just very, it's going to say it's probably the most Latin place in the U.S. And I, like I said, I've been all over the U.S., all over the South. And, uh, and yes, it is very much the financial capital of the Americas, you know, people down South America, when they dream of coming to the US, they all dream of Miami. And uh, so there's a lot of uh, international banking going on there in business. So yeah, Miami very much is the, the financial capital of the Latin Americas. Okay, well, that kind of explains it then because people are going to follow the money. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense as far as you know, people, it's still drawing people in even after, you know, yes. decades after Scarface and Miami Vice and, and all of those, you know, cultural that, touchstones. It's old history. Let's not bring that up. <laughs> um, I have read uh, briefly, uh, you know, in relative terms to other people that know a whole lot more about uh, the Cuban uh, rebellion, the Cuban, uh, depending on, you know, who's uh, speaking, uh, what side they were on, they're going to call it different things. Not to get too deeply into it, but did your family did they leave uh, by plane or did they leave, you know, the, uh, the more dangerous way? Uh, were they running away? Were, did they come across the ocean? My parents came in 61 on what were called the freedom flights. So that's actual flights. And, um, you know, over time, as the Cuban government just closed down that, that major route of exodus, yes, people did come on rafts and boats and what have you. But my parents were lucky to come in 61 when you could still fly directly to the country. 
Right on. Okay. I, I know how vague my knowledge is because I know I've heard the term freedom flights, but I would have, if you'd been like, oh yeah, what's that mean? I would have hemmed and hawed and been like, so moving on. Um, <laughs> but interesting. That's cool that, that you have that connection to both places. I don't know, you know, if you ever do go back or plan to go back or want to go back, but it, it kind of, um, in my opinion, it, it kind of feels cool that you have, um, so many places, uh, even, even Peru that you can kind of like, uh, kind of call home in a way, you know, if you needed to, you could go to any of those places and, and to a certain degree, feel at home. You know, full disclosure on the Cubans that came to Miami, my parents, when they came in 61, they thought that the Castro deal would just last a few months and they'd go back. But, you know, days became years, years became decades. And I'm going to tell you, my parents' generation, my generation, nobody has any idea of ever going back to Cuba. Uh, the United States is such an awesome country. This is our home. Uh, no one's going to go back to a communist country. Obviously, who's going to go to a communist country? So uh, the Cubans who are there, I mean, even if they went democratic today, you know, the old Cuban my parents left, it's no longer there. So their their dream is Miami because that's where their children were born, their grandchildren were born. They made their lives there. You know, obviously the, my life is there. So uh, just uh, people people sometimes ask, you know, do you guys think of going back? It's like, no, never. So uh, we're Americans, we're staying, and we love this country probably as much as anybody else in, in this country. That's awesome. Like that's something that if we hadn't spoken, I would never have gotten that sort of input. Oh, yeah, I understand. I understand. Um, it's like I'm already learning. So that's interesting to hear that you guys have, um, you know, it, it's something, it's it's a part of you, but it's not anything that you're interested in, in you know, and in, in going back to. You are, for all intents and purposes, this is your home and this is, uh, there's no reason um, to, to, you know, to go back, like you said, to a communist nation, first and foremost. It's interesting to to hear straight from from you know someone's mouth that that lives it you know what the uh what the common consensus is um because like i said i never would have really got the got the input from you know the news or or that that podcast oh, yeah. you, you wouldn't get that it's too, it's too nuanced you just wouldn't get that yeah uh so uh real briefly i want to jump in here to the dad stuff before we get on to in this particular case what i would consider a bit more important information but the point of the podcast is to, you know, to get these dads together to talk about you guys and your lives and your stories and share your wisdom. And one of those things, as I mentioned before we went live, was a couple of questions that uh, my one of my co-hosts has, and, and they're really good about these sorts of things coming with pre-planned stuff. I tend to just take these things more like uh, conversations because otherwise my anxiety will just overwhelm me and I'll be too sick to speak. So starting off, uh, one of the things he's interested in is what you would consider to be your last victory as a father, your last dad win, where you interacted with uh, one of your children, uh, some other children, uh, even your wife, uh, and you came away feeling that you did, you, you, you know, you got a 10 in that task as, as a dad. Uh, you, you achieved that perfectly, so to speak. Okay, well, my daughter, she's nonverbal, but you know, when people say nonverbal, I mean, she's not a mute. She will speak a little bit, but it's hard to know what she's saying. And I mean, she won't string together a sentence. She does sing a lot. So recently we got her into a um, an intensive therapy program. And uh, what's nice about these programs is, I mean, they really work. I would tell people that got autistic kids, get your kids into therapy as soon as possible because it makes a big difference. And my biggest win would be that, uh, you know, she's starting to string together now like two or three words. Whereas before she would like mumble like one word now uh, she's stringing them together. So it works. So I would tell parents that have got autistic kids, you know, get them into therapy and it's never too late. I mean, you know, if uh, you could have got them in two years, but you didn't, that's okay. Get them in today. Don't beat yourself up. So my biggest win lately would be getting her into that program and, and seeing tangible results. Awesome. That uh, That's something that I hear a lot about is third-party external help like that can yes. really go a long way. Uh, for parents, uh, especially for parents that are, uh, you know, working full-time jobs and simply don't have, you know, the time to to put in uh, day in, day out like you need to. Uh, that leads me to one question that kind of uh, uh, tangents into um, the, my, my, I guess he's my nephew. It, I've never really considered him to be my nephew, even though we've been married for almost a year now. But I guess, it, you know, that's what he is. So uh, kind of uh, veering off towards him. He can be, and this is uh, this is um, secondhand information. Take this, take that as it comes. But I've been told that he can be uh, violent from time to time, 
and that that is uh, one of the reasons why they have not got him into therapy. What would be your response to that? You know, my daughter's not violent, but I'm on several online groups and parents talk about it. So I know that that is a, a thing with some kids. Um, you know, it's not my reality, so I really can't speak to it. But I would say that, you know, it depends on the age of the kid. Um, I, I tell parents all the time on these Facebook groups that have, their kids have got either violent or have got trouble socializing. Get them into after school sports programs, whether it be at school or martial arts. But get them into uh, stuff where they can get just their physical energy spent, because that's a, a comment that I hear a lot in these groups is that parents will say these kids, they, you know, they're, they're kids. They've got a lot of energy and uh, you got to run them out sometimes. And as parents, kids, you know, they're kids. They don't respect you as much as they respect another adult. So if you can get these kids into a structured program where they're just running out their energy for a violent kid. Uh, it may help, but then again, it just depends on the kid because, I mean, some kids are so violent that the parents end up putting them in in uh, homes for autistic kids so they just can't deal with them. And in fact, in South Florida, about a year ago, there was an adult autistic son. He uh, was quite violent, and he had a long history of violence, and uh, he killed one of the parents. So, uh, so, you know, and as parents, you want to protect your kids. You want to shield them. So when you have a kid who's that extreme, I mean, you know, I know I can only imagine it would just break your heart, but sometimes these kids are just so violent that you got to put them in a home. But since it's not my reality, I can't speak to it from direct experience. I'm just speaking now from stories that I've read online. I mean, that all is obviously very relevant. And I, like I said, second information doesn't allow me to speak too detailed about the, the situation. These are just things that I've heard from them, you know, they talk about, so I can't say if his level of violence uh, enters, you know, a realm that would require special treatment, or if it is just something that, uh, you know, comes and goes. I'm around him sometimes, and when I am, I don't really see it, um, but I'm around him for, you know, an hour, two hours, you know, at most, so I uh, imagine that in the morning, uh, which I've never seen him, um, you know, his behavior could be different. Um, I know that when I wake up in the morning, I tend to be a little bit more grouchy than normal. So uh, a child maybe, uh, you know, could be the same. So um, kind of veering back toward the in general dad topic, we have our other question from my co-host. And that tends, uh, or that is, uh, what would be your number one piece of dad advice for a new father? Uh, and is, and it could be, uh, or I phrased this better before the show started, but is it the same or is it different from the best piece of advice that you yourself received as a, as a new father? You know, I didn't really, get, I can't think of any advice I got as a new dad, but you know, as a new dad, I would say that, uh, and it just sounds so cliche, but it's true. It's just patience. My wife, for example, once she had our kids, she just changed. I mean, she became a she devil and I, you know, and, you know, and I understand because the hormones and the kids and, you know, and the wives are the principal caregivers and uh, you as the dad, you just got to, you know, develop a very thick skin, a lot of patience. And uh, I mean, this might be getting too deep, but um, let me just tell you, there's nothing better than being a husband and a dad. So, uh, and there's been times where I was like, you know what, I want to leave my wife and just move across the country. But I got to tell you that, you know, it, it, you know, if you stick it out and you make it work, I can't, I can't imagine how divorce would have been better than this. And there were times where I thought, I'm going to divorce this woman because she, she, this is just hard. But in the end, if you stick it out, let me tell you, when I wake up and I got my kids and, and I get them ready for school, when I take them to school and at home, I tuck them in, there is nothing. And I mean, nothing better in the world than that. And, uh, so as, as a dad giving advice is you're going to go through some really tough times, stuff that, you know, you really can't prepare for as a, as a single guy. Uh, but in the end, if you can make it work, there's just nothing better than being a dad and being there for your kids. You know, and you think back to when you, uh, when you were a kid to your own father's failings. I mean, do you want to repeat those things? I certainly don't. So, uh, you know, all these, you know, troubles and tribulations I've been through with my wife and my kids, uh, it's worth it. It's worth it. And uh, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be the dad I always wished I had. And that just requires me to just suck it up and uh, just just roll with it. You know, I totally agree with that. I have this thing where whenever I'm uh, encountering a problem 
uh, as a father that I don't know what to do. I just say, well, what would my dad do? And then I do the complete opposite. And usually that's the right thing yeah. uh, because my goal is just to be every bit of the father that he was not to me and to make up for all the things that I feel I missed out on. And I'm not going to drown him in presence or anything like that. I'm simply going to physically be there when he needs me. And uh, I, I make a joke where uh, G.I. Joe taught me that knowing was half the battle, but the other half of the battle is just simply being there. And showing up. Yeah. Showing up, yeah. And, and also, as you said, patience. Um, we had um, early on, we did a, a few segments where we tried to uh, discuss problems that we were having or had had as fathers and you know how other dads could deal with it. And nine times out of 10, our answer was always just be patient because these most of the problems that you have as an early father, you know, young kids, they're just phases and they will just work themselves out. You know, there's always going to be problems that come that are uh, actual issues that you need to do things or, or get involved with. But by and large, if you're just patient with your kids, then a lot of things are going to, you know, work out. They won't necessarily work themselves out, but they're going to work out much easier than they would have otherwise. Yes. Of course, you don't have to add, you know, gas to the fire, you know, and I'll say, you know, I've got two kids, my six-year-old daughter who's autistic and my four-year-old boy who's not. And uh, he's actually the hard one. <laughs> you know, He's the hard one. But then I always remind myself, he's four. Like, what else could he do? You know, <laughs> I yeah. can't like fucking reason to the boy. He's four, you know? <laughs> so uh, Yeah, I think some people forget that, you know, they, they expect their, their children to just, I don't know, have some sort of insight that, that kids don't have. Um, they just don't know any better. So I did have one question. We are, we were in a, a phase where we were considering having a second child. And we have, to a certain extent, either said no or put it off. When you, when it was your time in your life to, you know, to contemplate that second child, what went through your head as far as decision making and, and, you know, what led you to uh, go ahead and, and have a second, in this case, daughter, or I mean, I'm son. I'm sorry. That's okay. So uh, I, you know, I read quite a few books about, you know, raising kids and pretty much across the board, every book will tell you don't have one child. Um, kids just do better when they've got another sibling. For one thing, uh, you know, kids who are just one kid, you get all your parents' attention, all your parents' love, all their resources. And kids like that just end up being pretty self-centered as they get older. And that's not good socially. So uh, having that second kid, there was never a doubt we were going to have a second kid. And in fact, if I had been younger, I might have had a third kid. I mean, being a dad is great. But uh, I would tell anybody who's got who's got one child is uh, have two. It's just it's better for them and it's better for you. And I also just uh, there's this guy, he uh, he did a documentary that I think it's called The Depopulation Bomb. And he talks about, you know, childlessness, people that don't have kids. And, uh, you know, and if you've got one kid, you've already done it. But if you're thinking of having a second kid, don't think about it too much because, you know, your window of having those children as a man is quite, is quite large. But for women around 40, that window starts to close pretty quickly. And all of a sudden, you know, you didn't have that second kid. So, um, you know, if you're on the fence, read, you know, read some books about raising kids and you're going to see that pretty much every single book agrees don't have one. So it was never, that was never like a question for me. And that, uh, so then, you know, if you have one child, the question is, when do you do it? Um, I would say, you know, and I don't know their situations, but for me, it was like as soon as possible. And we had our kid two years after uh, our daughter. It's a nice range. You know, more than that would have been too much, I think. I mean, but, you know, it's never too much, but I just think it's better to be closer. And I think two is is close enough. Right. On. Um, that The part about um, need, you know, not needing is a bad word, but uh about a life being better with a sibling in it that really speaks to me yes it based is off like i didn't ha i have no siblings i'm an only child i was uh my childhood was not full of parental um love and and attention so i was bl uh, blessed by not growing up self-centered if you want to put it that way but at the same time i remember often man you know can i have a brother can i have a sister like you know can i can i have somebody else in my life yeah um and that was a big part of my thinking when it came to do we want to have a second one because uh, it did just you have seemed... a second one? I'm sorry? Did you have a second child? No, sir. We, we have currently kind of leaned away from it. Um, you're, you're swaying me um, with your argument uh, because we weren't, you know, the door wasn't shut 
Um, she's certainly still able physically. Um, she makes a significant amount of money, so financially we would have uh, been able to, if not, if nothing else, scrape by. But we just didn't know. You know, I look at these things and blame my anxiety maybe for this, but I look at these things like what's going on in Russia and the Ukraine, and I'm just like, you know, is it is it right to to bring another child into you know the world at this time? It is. Uh, it is. Um, yes. It is. You know what? If only the bad people have kids, the world's going to go to shit. Good people need to have kids. And you seem like a good guy. So have that second kid. You know, and I was listening to this, another podcast, and the guy made the the remark, your sibling will be the longest relationship you have in your life, longer than your parents, because your parents will pass away and you'll still be there. So, uh, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you were a little bit lonely not having a brother or a sister. Well, you know what? Your child's probably thinking the same thing. And when you and your wife are gone, Who's going to be there for them? I mean, it's nice that you're married, you have kids, but, you know, I've got a brother and a sister and there's just nothing like having a brother and a sister. And, you know, and in fact, those are the longest relationships I will have in my life. So, uh, you know, if you're able to do it, I I would just tell anybody, have kids. The world is not as bad as social media thinks it is. And if only the crappy people have kids, then we're really effed. Ronald, I really like your your frame of mind. You you come off as a, a, a very... And I, and I could be given, you know, a missense sense of this, but you come off as a very optimistic person. You know, I was like, where should, we, where should I travel around the world? And you're like, bro, don't worry about the world. America, like, go to a national park. And I'm like, you know, oh, I don't know about a kid. Like, the world's so terrible. You're like, no, 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 no. Have a kid, have a kid, have a kid. Like, that's so, it's it's really um, encouraging to hear people, because I'm I'm not necessarily one of these, that, you know, are, are sure of what they, what they want, what they think. And not only that, but it is like, you know, a positive, like heartwarming, um, you know, opinion. So, uh, you know, thanks for bringing that on the show. I appreciate and that. You're in Nashville. Nashville's, I mean, I've, I've been in Tennessee. I'm not like a, an expert, but Nashville seems like a very family kind of place, uh, a great place to grow up, a lot of nature. You got the Smoky Mountains. I mean, that's a great place to be a kid. Well, yeah, uh, I, I think that if it tends to be better, not, I'm not going to get any deeper in this than than right here but it tends to be better probably if you're white and straight but that being said i have had good relations with people of all races in tennessee um and that might just be because i uh you know i give out you know a genuine like desire to be friendly with people i don't want to um you know make enemies so you tend to meet friendlier people when you're trying to be friendly to them um, you'd be a mirror yeah so just like any state, there are good and bad things about Tennessee. I was talking about this with uh, my two co-hosts last night, but I think that a kid, you know, in Tennessee is going to have um, just as good of uh, uh, of an upbringing as you can get. Because like you said, you've got big cities like Nashville, you've got great places like the Smoky Mountains, you've got Dollywood, you know, you've got a connection uh, or a border rather with uh, so many different states that you can travel to within, within you know, a relatively short period of time. So you're uh, exposed to quite a bit, you know, uh, as far as the South goes, you know, you're obviously not going to see much of um, the West or, or what have you. But I'm happy with where I was born and I've never wanted to um, have been born anywhere else uh, or any other, you know, country in general. Mark that down maybe, you know, to um, just uh, American um, confidence or, or uh, cockiness or, or whatever you want to call it. But um, <laughs> yeah, other, other people might call it that. But with that being said, like, I'm, I'm not necessarily proud's not the word. Uh, I'm not proud necessarily to be American, but man, I'm, I'm real happy. I'm real happy to be American. Like we have, uh, like you said, we have every sort of environment that you could ever want to visit anything that you would want to see. We might not have the absolute best of it, but we sure do have it. Uh, we might even have more of it than, than the, it's the, the country. Yeah. It's a country. Uh, we spoke with a, a gentleman who was originally from, oh, man, I'm going to get this. Uh, Ireland. He was from Ireland. And he uh, he was spoke so highly of America. He was like, I love it here. This place is so awesome. And it's so great to hear people uh, like yourself and like him that have experience with other places and still love this place. Because like, uh, I think you touched on it earlier, like the news really would have you believe that, uh, well, depending on which news you hear, either America is the worst place in the world, or the best place. And I know it's, it's somewhere in between, but they both tend to agree with the fact that uh, international um, pe- or people, you know, from from other countries, they all by and large hate Americans. That we need to be careful, and that if we're not, that it's going to be, uh, you know, taken uh, like with Liam Neeson, and uh, you got to be careful. And I just I like to get the um, 
get people like you on the uh, on the show that have a, a, a better um, idea of what really is, you know, um, going on out there and what the world is really like, what America is really like, because no one's going to have a better opinion of America than someone that came from somewhere else, because you've right. got something to really, you know, compare it to. Yeah. Um, and you, your opinion to me um, speaks high, more highly than mine, because I just, I don't have the experience with other places that you do that, you know, that gives you the insight that you have. Well, you know what, speaking of traveling now that I, you know, that we're talking about this, um, you know, loving, hating America. I would tell people that are, that are Americans is um, travel the U.S. because it's an awesome country. But if you want to really appreciate America, go anywhere south of the border, and uh, and you know, spend a week or two or three as much as you can. And let me tell you, when you see, when you compare that quality of life to what we have up here, you're gonna love America. And another thing, as much as people bitch and moan about America. People vote with their feet. And where do they all want to come to? They want to come to the USA. So uh, despite all our problems, and you know, we've got problems, we've done some terrible things over the years, but you know what? We've obviously done something right because you know, when people think of leaving their uh, their countries for a better place, it's America. So yeah, uh, yeah it's America. So you know, if you want to find pro-American people, talk to immigrants or sons of immigrants because we love this country because we know what our lives would have been like if our parents didn't come here. Yeah, that's true. I I totally agree with that. I had that uh, that same guest tell me that when America sneezes, the the world gets a cold, and yeah, it is it is kind of similar to that. But you know, at the same time, everybody you know, even when they when they hate America, they know that they can come here and live whatever life they want to live, and they yeah. they're not going to be uh, you know punished or or murdered just because of their religion or their their gender or sexual orientation you know we are like you said far from perfect but we try and it's a, a relatively safe place compared to some others that you could go to yeah relatively it's not perfect but it's relatively safe you're right uh, so that kind of brings me to the um the end of the the more personal uh well i, I guess i should actually say the opposite the more general dad related issues uh the dad content in general. Um, so that brings us now to the second part of the show, which, as I said, is, uh, in your specific case, more important to me because you have some uh, information, some content that really could improve probably uh, a lot of people's lives. Uh, you've already kind of touched on it with your uh, talk about therapy. And so I just wanted to take this last half or so of the show and get into uh, to you as, as, a, as a father of an autistic child you as the writer of this book that uh, could help anybody, uh, regardless of whether they're moving or not, and and just give you that time to kind of promote, you know, that side of yourself. Sure. Well, you know, um, nobody plans on having a, an autistic child. And in fact, uh, we we uh, got the diagnosis when she was like, I, I think it was three years old. And uh, it was scary because you just don't know. And uh, my wife, she took it hardest. You know, moms usually do. And uh, you know, at that point, you got to be just humble about it and realize that you're going to need help. And uh, your kids, your kids just don't respect you the way that they respect other adults. So our daughter, you know, we try to set up a homeschooling environment and we do as much as we can. But she and our boy just don't listen to us the way that they do to other adults. And it's funny because uh, a lot of my kids' teachers, they're a lot younger than me. I'm 53. I had my kids a little bit late in life. So uh so I kind of see them as being almost like kids, these teachers, but you know, I look at my boy, he comes up to my waist. So he looks at these teachers, like they're like full grown, like old women, probably to him, you know? So, uh, you know, even though I see them as being quite young, these ladies that are teaching at the schools, your kids will respect them in a way they'll never respect you. And, uh, you know, especially with the autistic kids, you know, get them in the therapy as early as you can. And, um, you know, homeschooling can work for some people with an autistic kid, my goodness, that would be a handful. I mean, my wife was 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 adamant. We're not doing homeschooling. She's like, I, I can't, I can't do it all day long. So, uh, you know, we we homeschool a little bit in terms of like you know little lessons here and there, but full time, wow, it just uh, it, it wasn't for us. And uh, so, you know, reach out and get help as you know as early in their lives as you can. Yeah, that's definitely a big part of it. You need to know as a parent if you can handle you know, the responsibility that's going to come from taking all that on yourself. Yeah, you may have all the love in the world, but 
certain personalities just are not geared toward homeschooling and, you know, taking care of that child 24 seven. I'm one of them. You know, if my son ended up autistic, I would be one of those parents that would be like, okay, I need a break, you know, every day, give me a break um, because I'm just not going to be able to do this all the time. Uh, I do, we're, we're waffling, but I currently plan to homeschool him at least a little bit just based off of the, um, the school shootings that you read about, you know, day after day after day. I'm hoping that something positive changes about that. And if it does, then I'm going to revisit it. But as it stands now, at least, you know, as a younger child, I'm going to probably, uh, you know, homeschool him at least, I don't know, kindergarten, first, second grade, something like that. I know I can handle it. I've got a college degree, so I'm not concerned about the, you know, the teaching side of things. I'm more concerned about him paying attention to me at all, because like you said, he's not going to respect me anywhere like he would respect a teacher. All right. Um, there's just not that, if nothing else, there's a certain amount of like trepidation and fear when dealing with a teacher that he's just not going to have with me. But, uh, you know, that's a bridge that I'll cross when I come there. Um, hopefully I never have to worry about it because this whole issue will maybe if not resolved, at least be uh, alleviated in some way. Um, so like I said, that's one of those things I'm just kicking, I'm kicking the ball down, uh, down the road, you know, if, as far as I can, so that I don't have to deal with it yet. But the um, the whole aspect of uh, autistic father is one that you know you you stand on a pedestal to me because you are someone you and your wife you you are people that have had to go a step beyond uh, in every way um, that uh, a parent has to go like everything that I've dealt with be it potty training uh, picky eating and those jump out at me because I complain about those uh, all the time right now uh, all of those things. Uh, could or or were uh, hard, could have been or were harder for you, and the fact that you are successfully navigating that, uh, you know, I have uh, a lot of respect for that. That really speaks highly to you as your, uh, you know, highly to your your uh, intellect, highly to your uh, level of patience, your level of compassion, and the fact that you're you're making this work. It really does, um, you know, uh, I, we we do this thing where. Um, when we have regular episodes, which is few and far between now, we give away a, a dad of the week. And I feel like that you would qualify for that. If we ever get back to that, um, I'm going to have to put you down for, for that uh, insignificant award um, because you really do. Um, and you, and like I said, you're, you're a wife as well. You really do <clears throat> a lot more than, uh, than I will ever be called on. And, um, you know, I, I uh, appreciate that as, as a father myself and, and I respect that as someone that will never have to deal with it myself, hopefully. Um, but that does bring me to uh, one other um, one other question, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, autistic development. You said that your daughter uh, was diagnosed around three. Was there any sign to you that there was uh, something going on? Uh, I had I spoke to a gentleman once who, who said, yeah, we saw signs, but there were so many other things going on that we just couldn't, like we refused to let ourselves deal with that. Um, was it something that you, uh, saw coming or was it a surprise to you? Um, well, when we finally got the diagnosis, it wasn't a surprise because, you know, it had been going on for quite some while, but when she was born, she was, she was quite typical. I mean, just normal little girl. I have videos of her, um, very normal. And then around two, and this is actually quite normal is, uh, kids will, will start displaying different behavior. So she started to display just different behaviors. But as a first time dad and my mom and my, my wife as a first time mom, uh, we just thought, well, she's just being cute. You know, I mean, at two years old, everything is different if you think about it, right? And as first time parents, you know, we had nothing to uh, compare to. It was actually my mother-in-law who said, you know what? You two need to wake up. Uh, there's something wrong with your daughter. You need to go have her uh, take her to a doctor and, and, and just see what they say about her. So it was around two and a half when we took her, but they wouldn't diagnose her because they say that before three, you can't really diagnose a child just because they're so young. So uh, we kind of knew she was autistic. We were probably in denial about it because, you know, maybe it's not autism. Maybe she's just different. But at three, when we got the diagnosis, it had been quite some time in coming. But like I said earlier, my wife took it really, really hard. Mia, you know, I was, how old was I? I was 46 or 47 when a diagnosis came. So, you know, when you're a little bit older, it's like, it's like, okay, you know, she's autistic. You know, it is what it is, right? 
no sense uh, weeping about it. But, uh, you know, as first time parents, we were in denial like any other parents. And it actually took another adult to tell us, hey, you know what? You need to have your kid diagnosed because there's just something ain't right. And, you know, and as a parent, you know, you only want the best for your kids. So um, you will be in denial. But, you know, if you see something different about your kid, you know, if they're autistic, being in denial, uh, you can deny it as long as you want. It's not going to help them or you. It's actually going to hurt them. So if you think that your kid might be on the spectrum uh, as early as possible, and in our case, it was three, get them diagnosed. And Because once you know, then you can get them into the school system or you can get them, you know, help from the government. Because, you know, in, in Miami, at least, the autism services are really good. But until there's a diagnosis, they're like, look, we can't help your daughter until there's a diagnosis. So you have to get the diagnosis. And once we had the diagnosis, we could get her what's called an IEP, an Individualized Education Plan. But you can't get that until they're diagnosed. So it doesn't help them or you to uh, to to put it off. So as soon as you know, you know, take them to a doctor, get them diagnosed, and, and then go from there. Um, it seems like that diagnosis is the key to open a lot of doors. Yes, it is. It is. One thing that I thought about while you were talking about your daughter and this – I have zero experience with. So when they talk about it, I can't judge them uh, one way or the other. But it seems to me as if an autistic child, and you're going to speak, you're going to maybe correct me here, or at least, um, you know, give me a better idea of what's going on. Uh, it seems to me an autistic child would benefit better from a normal sleep schedule, go to bed at night, wake up in the morning, like a normal child. That being said, I know nothing about it. And my, uh, my nephew does not have that. He will wake up whenever sleep whenever based off of his own whim essentially and do you have any experience with your daughter doing things like that uh, and what is your opinion of of uh just how a uh, an autistic child should sleep well autistic well all kids like routine but especially autistic kids but i'll say it's autistic kids is that uh prepare yourself because you're not going to have a regular sleep routine in fact it's called a night tremor not night terrors Kids will wake up, autistic kids, and they'll just scream bloody murder. And it's like, you're not doing anything to them. Nothing's been done to them because, you know, you're the parents, you know. And uh, so as far as having a regular routine, try as much as you can. But the sleeping, um, it's not going to be normal. It's going to be quite abnormal. And the night terrors, you know, if you've never been through it, you think, oh, my God, it's just my child. No, it's not. It's actually a very common thing. You know, and I'm on these different groups online and all the parents talk about, hey, my kid wakes up in the middle of the night and just screaming bloody murder. What do I do? It's like, just deal with it because it's nothing that you've done. It's just part, you know, some kid, autistic kids and my daughter is one of them. They get up and they will just scream bloody murder or she'll get up at two or three in the morning and she'll just start singing for hours and hours. She likes to sing. You know, you don't know what she's saying, but she'll just sing and sing and sing. So uh, it's hard and, you know, routine is good. You know, having the regular like play toys and all that, autistic kids really like that. But as far as sleep, at least for us, um, it's it's been a challenge. Interesting. Okay. So I'm glad I wasn't judging of them. Um, you, you say that your daughter sings a lot and that you can't tell what she's saying, but do you know the song? Like, is it something yeah. you've heard? Yeah, she'll sing the melody and every now and then a word will come out and uh, we know uh, exactly what she's singing. And uh, as she gets older and, and her skills improve, the words are getting better. So yeah, we know exactly what she's singing. My wife would sing to her a lot as a, as a little kid and still sings them now. And uh, they like their iPads with YouTube. So they'll watch videos there. And you know, speaking of YouTube, as much as we put on parental controls, stuff will show up. So as a parent, if you give your kid an iPad and... <clears throat> We gave, you know, we gave both our kids iPads, just uh, there was no way around it. But uh, just be careful what shows up because, you know, um, a lot of very adult, not adult, but like big kids, like, like, like teenager stuff will show up. It's like, you know, she's six. I don't want her see, I don't want her seeing what a 16 year old girl is doing. I want her seeing what a, a six year old girl is doing. So, uh, you know, the, it's been a blessing, not a curse, but it's been a blessing to iPads because it helps her and us a lot. But just be aware as parents that uh, stuff will show up there that you might not like and just always be on top of that. One thing I can speak of that I haven't yet dealt with myself is, uh, and it's similar to that, is the commercials. We don't pay for YouTube. So, you know, in between videos or in the midst of a video, a commercial will come on that is very adult oriented, completely geared toward uh, an adult as opposed to a child. 
And I'm just like, why are you showing me this next to Blippy? Like, I don't get that. Well, you know why they do it, Corey? Because they know that kids are watching this through their parents' account. Because a, a six-year-old kid can't have their own account. And that's why that happens. All right, that, I guess that does make sense. Because they're, they're drawing on, um, like, my cookies, so to speak, or whatever. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Um, so that that's something that, you know, a parent would, uh, and, and I, need to, to watch out for when your kid watches YouTube, as many of our children do these days. Because even though it has... Um, you know, some uh, brainless, uh, useless uh, information. Some of it is super helpful. Um, yes. Like I mentioned, Blippy, uh, and I don't try to rely on him, but my goodness, he's taught my son so much. Um, the just, kids love Blippy. Oh my, yeah. he bananas, but they love him. <laughs> just uh, so many different random words that he will say nowadays that I'm just like, well, I we've never worked on that, so I don't know where that came from. Uh, I look at Blippy as, uh, and, and I kind of was too young to really experience this um, you may speak to this better than I could, but Blippi to me seems to be our gener or this generation's uh, Pee Wee Herman, because just his mannerisms and his movements—it's just like it's like his—he's his son or something, uh, and his like squawks and squeaks and stuff. It just reminds me so much of Pee Wee Herman, and I don't really remember Pee Wee Herman being super geared toward like teaching a child, uh, you know, how to do things. Yeah, um, he, but, but the mannerisms. Guy, but he was more for older kids and for adults actually he wasn't really for little kids uh well that makes sense because as a child i was like this is a little too weird for me i would much rather <laughs> just watch he-man or whatever uh so yeah i am uh super thankful that we do have youtube and, and th the things on there um my son will you know as children do he will get tired of blippy and want to watch a kid playing with monster trucks or something for for an hour um, I try to distract him with, uh, you know, playing outside and, and things like that, but I can already tell that he is, uh, really interested in TV and, you know, computers and, and, and that sort of thing. As I, as you know, I assume everyone is, it makes sense. When I got my first Nintendo, I was like, okay, I don't need to go outside anymore. This is what I need. This is what was missing. It's like heroin. I, I was missing this all the time and I never knew it. So I, I do worry a little bit that I might be exposing him too much to that sort of thing. But at the same time, when you have to, you know, fold laundry or, or do laundry, you know, like, what are you going to do other, other than turn on, you know, Miss Rachel or Blippi or something like that? Cocoa Melon. Yeah. Um, so that, um, that actually brings me to pretty much the extent of everything that I had. You uh, answered the admittedly few questions that I had in terms of, of my nephew um, my experience with him is, you know, less than maybe it should be, um, though that uh, there are, you know, different factors that, that determine that. Well, listen, Corey, don't judge others and don't judge yourself. I mean, you know, you're, you're new at this. I mean, the kids don't come with a, with, a, with a guidebook, especially autistic kids. So, you know, don't judge other parents that you see with their kids autistic, they're having meltdowns, let's say. And don't judge yourself. I never judge myself. But, you know, I, I think I'm older than you. And uh, my daughter wasn't born until I was almost 45 years old. So, you know, as you get older, you just, you can draw from different experiences. And I just, I never judge myself. It's like, you know what? I'm doing the best I can. I read, I watch documentaries on, on autistic kids. So, uh, you know, it's just, don't be, it is what it is. You know, you, you know, you have no control. Oh man, that's going to be a reel right there. Like I'm going to get quite a few views on that one. That was some good information. Um, I, I do appreciate the, because um, maybe with other fathers, but definitely with me, I tend to beat myself up a lot for my shortcomings. Um, being uh, cooking jumps out at me. I I'm such an utter a failure at, at cooking. Um, I get by, you know, on on relatively healthy things, but like I I need to be a better cook for my son. I just I just need to do it, and and I'm coming up short. Um, but YouTube, man, there's a YouTube video for that. <laughs> you know, you're right, and I, that's I, there's a YouTube video for everything, but Ever. I never. I never really even considered YouTube as, as, a, as a resource there. Um, so thanks for pointing that out. I'll have to, um, I, like, I could just have the thing playing and like, okay, and now do this. So that right. would work out great. Yeah. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to have to go to that. Man, good. Uh, maybe another reel there. <laughs> um, it's these, th these little things that jump out at me that I'm like, why didn't I think of that? Like, that's so obvious. But yeah, cool. I appreciate you uh, 
like reminding me that YouTube is a, a huge and helpful thing because I had totally forgotten about that. I YouTube Don't know why. everything. If something breaks in the house, I YouTube it and it's just always a video. You'd be surprised just how like, like insane, doesn't matter what it is, how little it is, there's a video for it or two. Yeah, or two. <laughs> right on. So with that, um, I guess we've come down here to the end. I just want to uh, once again thank you and point everybody to your website. It's the uh, MiamiAutismDad.com. Anything they want to learn about you or get in contact with you, uh, they can use that contact point. And they uh, could also go and pick up your book, The Autism and Special Needs Family Relocation Blueprint. You got some um, some good information out there for, for some very needy parents, and I do appreciate what you're doing. I'm going to relay uh, quite a few things that we talked about today to my uh, wife's brother-in-law and sister-in-law, or brother and sister-in-law. And hopefully they get some uh, relief or something uh, out of what uh, you've told me today. And if they do, then I'll consider this a, a huge win. And uh, once again, I want to apologize for the, you know, the uh, connection issues, time. Uh, uh, that, was, that was my fault, Corey. I'm sorry. Just with the traveling, you think you're on the right time zone. And I, and I thought I was, and I, I, I foobarred it. I'm sorry, man. Hey, it's, uh, I don't blame you at all. I mean, the fact that you're, the fact that you're not even in America kind of gives you a, a hall pass on that one. So no worries on that. And the fact that you were able to find the time to go ahead and have an, you know, the, the normal length of, of conversation, I do appreciate that as well. Um, you, I know that you have uh, you know, a busy life. You've got two kids. You're bored. Uh, I joke that a, fam a family with three kids, the parents need superpowers. So you are definitely bordering on that Captain America level of athleticism. You're, you are a peak man uh, to, to be able to take care of two kids, especially one uh, with autism. So uh, you've got a lot going on, and I appreciate you, you know, finding th the time to uh, to speak with me on, on what um, are some pretty important topics. You know, uh, more and more kids every day seem to be autistic, so it's it's good for them to, uh, um, you know, it, our our listenership is small, but oddly, uh, strangely dedicated. So uh, hopefully, if if one of them doesn't um, experience this, you know, as as a father themselves, then they know somebody that that does and that might benefit from this. So thanks for getting that, uh, all of that out. And thanks for sharing, uh, everything that you did today. And, um, I would, uh, love to have you back on sometime. We could, uh, get into, um, these are all, uh, almost like, uh, meet and greets because when we speak, I always get these, uh, you know, more narrow, uh, details that I could, uh, we could talk about later on. So maybe we could get back in, uh, at a later date and talk, talk again about something. Um, you uh you did uh, dip your toe into a couple sections a uh, uh, a time or two that really interested me that you know weren't necessarily dad or autistic related so there's always something there to uh, to speak on again, but until that day, uh once again thank you so much uh, you've been awesome you've been really giving with your time and your information so thank you so much for that, and uh, once again uh, you have a wonderful day and wonderful weekend and we will uh, maybe talk to you again soon. Sounds good, Corey. It's been great. All right, take it easy. All right, man. Take care. And that's been your two dads. Goodbye, everybody.